So glad to have Eddie Morton in the studio today. Eddie, welcome. Glad you're here. So glad to be here, Tim. Thank you. Eddie is the CEO of Lyft Orlando, but we're going to talk about vision today. So first, if you want to give us a background, anything about you you want to share, because I know as friends, we've known each other for a long time, but it's like, what do you pull off the bulletin board of life, right? (laughs) Absolutely, man. Well, I think this this subject has been uh, a a big one throughout my entire life. Maybe some of us are dreamers and the idea of vision kind of compels us more. But uh, as a a kid, my parents um, uh, met, fell in love working at Geico headquarters in Maryland. Really? Uh, And uh, But they were really young and divorced shortly after, and we went through a tough season. And then when my mom remarried, my stepdad... Actually, was a serial entrepreneur, started his first business in high school. My first regular paycheck job was working in his furniture factory. And uh, I saw how someone having uh, a vision for building something meaningful and providing for not only his family, but other people had an impact beyond what you could even imagine. And so Mm -hmm. that was always an inspiration for me to aspire to see what business could do and what business could do to help others as Mm -hmm. well. And I think... That's been a vision or a theme in some ways in a broader perspective that's guided a lot of what I've done. Tremendous. And here in Orlando, how long have you been here? I've been here since 1990, which by local wow. standards kind of makes me a native. Yeah, I think we should get native trophies of some sort. You know? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if you have lived here longer than John Young Parkway. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and now for you personally, I know we've we've spent some time over the years in uh, a group of guys that talk about dreams. Mm. And today I want to talk about vision. And, you know, most men can lack a vision for their life, but worse than that is the regret of never doing it. Yeah. And, and you have obviously implemented some vision in your life. Looking back, we'll, we'll get to Lift Orlando, but have there mm. been some visions in your life that you have said, wow, you know, that was really glad that one happened. Maybe you, you let that one be fulfilled and then it made an impact and you can reflect on it now? You know, I'd say that the, well, the first one that came to mind, maybe the sweetest one that comes to mind, uh, was the vision for my marriage. Hmm. And I think a lot of times the very simple tools we take for granted in business, like setting goals and having a vision and right. being clear about what our objectives is, that um, when we got married, Giselle and I, um, I wanted to propose to this girl and had this idea of doing something really special and it just got out of hand. <laughs> I, I knew that she was very kinesthetic and that I wanted to do something physical like a scavenger hunt. And it turned into planes, trains, and automobiles, and helicopters, oh and you know, a dozen kids with roses in different locations all over town. And it just turned into this massive production that involved an army of people. Um, and it was much more than what I even thought it was going to be. But right. the vision of what I realized afterwards was a way of letting her know how much God loves her. Mm. And I was sort of the nearby schmuck he chose to use to communicate (laughs) that message. But we then entered into our marriage journey looking around us and we knew a lot of our friends that struggled and we thought, maybe the fact that I'm crazy about you and I think you're crazy about me is not enough. (laughs) It might be more fragile than that. So I'd say that the idea of having a dream, like that proposal was like a, a thing to accomplish that seemed impossible at the time and was great, um, distinct from having a vision, a thing mm. that we're till this day still pursuing right. in hopes of making a reality and fulfilling. Um, that distinction oftentimes is lost by guys. And mm. having having a big idea, having a big dream is a great thing. It's not the same thing as having a vision. Mm. Um, and I think that's what I love about this topic. Thank you for bringing it up for our discussion today. Yeah, the clarity of vision is something I feel we need to kind of hone into a bit, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, it's one thing to have a vision, but that can even be blurry, yes. you know, but the clarity is is the aim of that vision. What do you think are some obstacles that people face 
when it comes to truly taking action to see that vision become a reality? What are some of those obstacles? Or maybe something you've kind of had to learn to mature through. Is obstacles or... Yeah. I'd, I'd say maybe the, one of the worst obstacles is the need for certainty. Uh, it's mm. wise to do your research, do your homework, study, evaluate, compare, and contrast, and consider the risk. But at some point, you're not going to see more until you do more. Mm. And I think a lot of times we're asking God to tell us exactly what to do. And he's like, well, what did you do the last thing I told you to do? Sure. Like, what happened to the last thing I said? Do this. Is that still waiting there? Because you're not actually going to receive any more light until you take more action. And a lot of times we want to sit and sit on our hands and wait for the Lord to speak with a booming voice from heaven. And I, my experience, all too often, there's already something that I should be obeying Mm. (laughs) that if I would act on faithfully, suddenly I would see more, know more, he would reveal more, and then Mm. I would just know the next step. But we want to feel completely certain that we have the plan and we know what the first and second and third and 100th step's going to be. Right. And the reality is that every action you take will change the landscape. Mm. And w- once you kind of walk through that door, there's a whole new set of variables. So right. you just have to take that action. And then in faithful obedience, respond with desire to do what's right. But don't expect that you're going to have it all figured out. There's mm. an old a military saying that when the... Um, terrain doesn't match the map, go with the terrain. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we tend to want to have like it all planned out really well. Right. And it just doesn't, life doesn't work that way. Yeah. That, that also brings into focus, uh, your ability to solve problems, yeah. you know, where any leader at your level knows it's not a question of when, I mean, if a problem will come is when, and the, the determination to solve it. What about problem solving for you when it comes to vision? Has there been something that maybe you and your team kind of rally the troops and have a way to break it down and make it a little bit more feasible because, you know, we, we're all going to face a problem yeah. on the journey yeah. of fulfilling that vision. Yeah, I think there's a there's a balance uh, between knowing how to be the kind of person who is not daunted by the problem before you, that retains enough optimism to see mm. through that problem even before you know exactly how you're going to solve it, mm-hmm. but is also curious enough about the problem itself. I know I can be guilty of seeing the problem and wanting to discount it in the name of remaining positive or having faith and being optimistic about the future when in fact the problem has something to teach you. Mm. And if you don't stare at the problem long enough and poke at the problem and ask ask questions about the problem and maybe let the problem surface some self-criticism and right. some things that you needed to see, you'll never learn the mm. gift that the problem was intended to deliver. Uh, and I think that the kind of more than troubleshooting, but digging deeper to get to the root, oh, how did this problem happen? Right, and right. where did this problem come from? And when you get to a root cause of a problem, sometimes you find out that the act that solves it is much simpler, sure. much uh, more direct, may not be easier, right? but that you'll then remove the root of that problem and permanently, mm. permanently grow beyond it. Mm. Otherwise, there are ways to patch up problems, duct tape problems, ignore problems, right. and, and pretend that you solved that problem, but all you did was sort of sweep it under the rug. Mm. I like that, be curious about the problem and and not just, you know, throw it to the sideline, but really dig into it. And then uh, when it came to your journey into Lyft Orlando, here you are now a decade into it. Yeah. You have a, a book coming out this next year yeah. to talk about that journey. What would you like to share about that adventure? That's not been a overnight success, nor easy, yeah, but yet yeah. it is making an impact. I know. And so you, have, you have a lot of great 
you know, results to show now to a decade into it. Tell us anything you want to know, any, no. anything you want us to know about it. Thank you. It's been really humbling because I think the process of learning that a lot of our assumptions about how we help people and entire communities okay. prosper and do better maybe works differently than we thought. Our vision statement at Lift Orlando is neighborhoods where children grow up with hope mm. and return with joy. Uh, for too many communities that have been left behind in America, the definition of success is to get out of here, right? Okay. And everybody cheers you on when you achieve it. If you, you, you're you prosperous away. enough, you moved away, he got out, she got out. And when we look at people who have tough backgrounds mm -hmm. and they've achieved great success, it's very easy to presume, well, see, if she did it, everybody else should be able to do it too. And mm. we don't realize that they are a statistical anomaly. <laughs> really? That she's a little bit of a walking miracle. That the odds of the average child living in an environment where they living, they most of the people they know may not be achieving success and opportunity. Mm -hmm. When they struggle, when they have a setback, when something kind of falls through, they don't have the safety nets or mm. the network to open up new doors and opportunity. If you and I, you know, had sure. to reinvent our lives tomorrow, eighty percent of the time, even in the age of LinkedIn, our next opportunity will be tied to someone we knew who mm. opened a door to a new opportunity. Right, right. That's just how the world works. How do we reintegrate that connectivity to opportunity in communities that have like might as well be walled off sometimes? Mm. And we have too many of those uh, in America. We certainly have them in Central Florida. And the idea has been if if you can make these places so rich in opportunity where people have mm. great options to choose from, one, most people will choose what's better for them, and two, you'll find out that you can make it the kind of place where when that kid grows up. They have opportunity, they've got an education, mm -hmm. they can support a family, they're thinking about where they would want to live. Man, how much would have to have changed about that neighborhood that they'd say, I can't think of a better place right. than to, to raise my kids than where I grew up. Then you'd get to see this generational wealth and prosperity in communities mm. where people are proud of being part of that place. And they then lift each other up years over years. So that goal for us has been something we sought after, not knowing exactly how we would achieve it. Right. Um, it certainly meant a lot more uh, from not only the transformation we've seen, but the transformation we've experienced personally than we ever imagined when we started. Mm. And so these families that are becoming, you know, in a way flourishing in their environment, they end up becoming the influencers, probably in a way that in the past, you probably thought there wouldn't be a way for them to have a positive influence do you personally find this to be not just rewarding, but to see it as a life mission for you? Because I know that oh. some people take, I, I use this term career versus calling, you know, <laughs> and they take their career to a level of, okay, I'm going to be professional, I'm going to have a career. But then there are people that, that discover a calling within it. What is what is that for you? What is the, what if I could use the, the question, the drive for Eddie yeah. in this role? So for quite a while now, my personal mission statement has been to inspire, inspire and equip leaders to make a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and what was really wonderful about the early days of this work is we first saw that to really get the kind of transformation you want to see in any community, you mm -hmm. have to start not by showing up to try to solve what you think is missing, but by discovering what's already there. Hmm. And so our early work was really about inquiring and listening and getting to know folks. And before you know it, you start to identify there are people already who are pretty accomplished or right. they're trying to do their best to help their neighbors or they're trying to build their community, often against uh, long odds. And sure. if you start to like fan the flame of that leadership, that energy that's already there, make those leaders more visible, make them more successful in what they're doing, they'll have their own gravitational pull of their neighbors and friends and people who want to be part of something positive. But without highlighting that and celebrating that, without amplifying their voices, 
people just believe whatever they see in the nightly news and think mm. that everybody there is making the worst choices because that's all you ever hear about. But when you start, to, and this is true with our kids, it's true with mm -hmm. our teams, it's true with our companies, start to find the bright spots of strengths, of excellence, mm. of innovation, of ideas, and fan the flame, that sure. spark of outstanding contributions and virtue, and it starts to spread. Mm. Because the opposite is also true, right? If right, I only right. highlight the negative, the terrible, the disappointing, that's all I'm going to see. And so mm. I think for us, watching leadership emerge from the communities, what we call investing in the people that are there. Uh, but then we realize that even when people are doing that, and there's a long history of how that's turned around neighborhoods in mm -hmm. America, um, it's really hard to reverse decades of disinvestment and dilapidated mm. infrastructure, the product of slumlords and lack of support and the basic things like access to healthy food and strong mm -hmm, schools mm -hmm. and safe and quality housing that takes you know a lot of money a lot of technical expertise so that usually you need some external support to mm -hmm. transform those dynamics that's where we come in so we do mixed income housing cradle to career education community health and wellness and long-term economic viability mm. uh, but we don't do that directly because we have a ton of great uh nonprofits and for-profit and organizations that do Great work in the housing, healthcare, mm. education spaces. So we find who is best in class at doing that, and how do we get them to do it here? Mm. Uh, and then to work in partnership with other folks, which is not easy because most people are used sure. to just doing their thing, and here they have to be part of a team and a shared vision. But we're seeing incredible results uh, mm. as a result. Yeah. Well, just outside the studio where we're recording this, uh, I have some mango trees I planted. Mm. And my, my sister gave me mangoes from her tree down in Pembroke Pines, and so I've Brought them here, you know, ate the mango, planted the seed. And I have a phrase, and you, when everything you said just really vibrated well with me with this statement of cultivating a healthy environment yes. for growth. So, you know, I have to water that, that new plant, right? And so you're bringing in other resources to help cultivate that environment, really reshaping the community. Amazing vision. I love what you mentioned about focusing on, you know, the resources that are there that are making an impact and, and fanning that flame that's a clarity of vision. You know, mm. we can walk into the home at the end of the day and point out, you know, the mess on the counter versus, you know, babes, I'm glad you're home safe. Yes. I mean, just saying that, like, I'm glad you're home safe. That should be the win of the day, not the fact that the laundry was folded. <laughs> or, or not. Or not. <laughs> I'm still on the couch. You know, yes. right. So, so what is it that we're focusing on? Do you have, when you look out the front, you know, windshield of your vision for Lift Orlando and for yourself personally, is there something you're aiming at today that you're you're wanting to fan that flame? Maybe it's the book coming out. Maybe it's some leaders that you're looking to you know coach and and serve. Or but is there something a vision that that you're aiming at now? Because you're in an interesting season. You have some you know success under your belt, but also platform to grow from. Yeah, yeah. You know, I will say there's um, recently. Uh, as tumultuous as the last few years have mm -hmm. been, there's been kind of the kindling of an idea in my heart that's been fueling a lot of energy for me. Um, and it's been this uh, this question about civic institutions hmm. and what are the kinds of civic institutions we need for hmm. the future. Okay. Um, we take civic institutions for granted. If you think about it, we didn't always have hospitals, right? Hmm. At some point, communities started to say, like, we need a place sure. to take care of sick people, uh, and to do that well, to do that with excellence, to research and come up with medications and solutions mm. and to really provide quality treatment. We didn't always have universities. Mm. You know, we need more than basic education. We need to create careers and prepare youth for the future and mm. all the opportunities that are coming. 
Same thing goes for YMCA's and boys and girls clubs and group mm. and girl scouts, like all of these not government programs, not for profit businesses, but volunteer led often at first civic private sector institutions that mm. because people stuck with them long enough, they became the sort of fabric of sure. society so much. Mm. So we kind of take them for granted. We just assume these things are there. Right. Well, the work that we do mm-hmm. aims to close the gap between the mm. economic growth of cities and the neighborhoods that almost always get left behind. Hmm. Like you can have cities grow by billions of dollars of economic impact, have all these new companies come in, new jobs get created, have mm. all these great metrics. And yet there's always these negative numbers of kids that are not making, schools that are not performing, home mm. families that are struggling. But when you look at a map, those populations are not equally distributed in those regions. They're okay. hotly concentrated in a few neighborhoods and everybody who lives in that city knows where sure. those neighborhoods are. Mm. And that is a very man-made legacy of the divides in our inner city, something that can totally be undone. Mm. And mm. so what if we had the kind of civic institution that closed that gap, mm. that took the, the economic growth and development, the leadership and influence of any city, and like a magnifying glass, mm. focus on the highest priority neighborhoods mm. just to make sure nobody gets left behind. Right. That the zip code that you're born into does not determine your life destiny. Right. And in America, as crazy as that sounds, that's almost accurate every time. With mm. the few exceptions of remarkable people who escape, we're seeing generations of people trapped in certain mm. places. And that just doesn't make sense. And it's mostly because they don't have access or people are not coming in to invest into their community. Yeah, and when people do invest, often it's in predatory ways. Think about, okay. you know, whether it's some lords or it's people who are extracting from that community with businesses mm. that don't support the creation of jobs there or of healthy resources or opportunities. The mm. idea of a community that looks after itself mm-hmm. because there's enough people who can, you know, run the local shop or grocery store or create a few jobs there, but they mm. have a venture vested interest in the success of their own community. Uh, those things can be very absent in many cities in America where mm. folks transact there, but they're not part of that community. They're not betting on the future of that community. They're just mm. making money there. And then too many people that are there consuming are watching their dollar go in that they earn and mm. go out. I think years ago, people used to talk about the circulation of a dollar uh, in a Jewish community versus many minority communities in America. And it's like 1.5 times in the mm. average community of color. In most Jewish communities, it's like 14 times. Like mm. that same dollar gets transacted so often because Mm. there are so many community-based enterprises that meet the needs of that community. And so that that sort of quantifiable measure of Mm. how sustainable a community is because there's prosperity, there's sort of social cohesion, there's a connectivity within that community may not reach that ideal, but Mm. you can certainly do a lot better than we do. So I think my hope is that one day just like a YMCA is a pretty common thing or a boys mm-hmm. and girls club. If you told me, you know, mm-hmm. you get a lot of kids here come out of school and their parents are working and they don't have good role models and they get in trouble. I might say, man, don't you have like a boys and girls club or a Y or someplace they could go? Cause sure. those organizations have a mission to solve that. If you said, boy, our city's growing, things are great, but you know, those same neighborhoods are really tough places. You don't want to go there or have your kids go there. Like you would say, well, don't, don't you have like an, like there's a, we call ourselves a community quarterback. Did you right. have a community quarterback in your sure. town? Because that's what solves that. Um, and so that's that idea of making our work not so unique or rare, but so much more commonplace mm. uh, that I'd, you know, we'd have a hundred people doing the same work that we're doing would be awesome. It's very synergetic. I can mm. see that. Hope so. Yeah. Especially the civic organizations coming alongside the development piece, housing, medical, yes. business, 
Tremendous. Yes. For you personally, Eddie, you know, we've been in some interesting circles of people, again, being driven to accomplish things. Where do you go personally for your own, you know, well-being, inspiration? Do you have a, do, like for me, I like going for bike rides, right? Yeah. So is there is there someplace you go or something that you do to help, you know, keep your, your mind clear, your energy, your, your dream energy alive? Yeah, you know, it's uh, we got a puppy a couple years ago, and that, that just would do it. <laughs> running with the puppy has been uh, a great thing for just creating good headspace. Puppy's and, name? Uh, Honey is her name. Uh, Honey Joy Morrison is her full name. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Only because we couldn't agree between us and the kids and whether she was going to be Honey or Joy. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I think there's something about, you know, guys like you in my life that we've known each other a really long time. Mm. Kenan, who we both love and adore, just who, who know how to create spaces mm. uh, for us to be able able to engage in a way that's honest, sincere, and often vulnerable, mm -hmm. um, and trust each other with, with dreams and visions right. and risky ambitions. Because I think uh, it sounds silly, but for, for men, when we're not just outright bragging about what we think we're going to do, but we're genuinely saying mm -hmm. a dream or a vision that we're actually scared of because mm -hmm. <laughs> it stretches us and we're right. really likely to fail at it. There's great intimacy mm -hmm. involved in daring to share those things. Mm -hmm. And I've been so blessed, you know, uh, Ken and Birch, for those who don't know, started a group called Dream Builders. We met mm -hmm. for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, every month. Friday a month, every month. I mean, our first Friday meeting was the Friday before I got married to my wife. So I always you remember never, yeah. the anniversary of the start of that. But uh, And Kenan, and you're such a great example of this as well, has such a way of treating others with so much extraordinary grace in small mm. details sometimes. Mm. Sometimes it's just a gesture. Sometimes it's just a check-in, a call, mm. a text. Uh, I always feel uh, it's like when you show up somewhere and, and you realize you're you're underdressed. <laughs> right. I often feel that way about grace with Kenneth. Like he yeah, wears sure. so much grace in the way that he treats me and other yeah. people. I'm like, oh, man, I really need to step it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, the friendship side of that is interesting because when when I am vulnerable with dreams, it is a risky yeah. adventure, you know, to share with somebody I'm dreaming of something because, you know, earlier you mentioned about you don't always see what's next, right? And so you have to take the action and you're overcoming problem after problem after problem. And the problem that I think most men face is the danger to quit. Has there been a, has there been a day in your life when you wanted to quit that you, you overcame that fear that you would say, Tim, this actually helped me jump through that hurdle? Because there are people I think that are faced with that challenge where, I had a dream or I'm in, in the middle of a dream and I quit the dream or maybe I want to quit the dream. And and some of us need to be told maybe you you shouldn't or maybe you just need to get this advice or perspective. Any any comments or thoughts on the, the risk of quitting? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think um, there's always a great risk of quitting. Personally, I might relate more to the risk of not knowing when to quit. Okay. You know, I think sometimes the there's a, there's a great gift of, persistence, when we stick with something long enough, often the point where you feel you absolutely want to quit is mm. usually inches away from the reward. Mm. And I think keep having that mindset is uh, is really helpful in sustaining perseverance. Like, oh my gosh, if it's really painful right now, I must be getting close. Okay. <laughs> that the pain of wanting to give up, much like you know muscle failure and working out, right? right, like right. It serves a really valuable purpose, and if you don't experience it, you don't get the reward on the other side. Um, but sometimes we forget that um, for every no we say, mm. 
is really a yes to the thing that matters right, most. Right. And uh, we can we can stick with things too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can persist with things that are less important than the most important thing, and we would be able to give ourselves more truly to the mm. most important thing. If only we would quit sooner mm. on the things that we're dabbling, the things that we're not really committed to, the things that are interesting and curious, but it's not the thing. Mm. And so I think a lot of times we need to, that's why these. it's always a balance both to know what things just keep showing up, wake up one more day, put those shoes on one more time, mm. just push through because the reward's on the other side. And then sometimes like, are you even pushing on the right thing? Because mm. m- maybe you don't need to be paying even attention to that because there's something more important that deserves your best effort. Give it over there. Right. Use your will because you don't have infinite willpower. You have right. a limited amount and a limited amount every 24 hours. Sure. Give it where you know it matters mm-hmm. most. Um, so I think there's a little bit of both. Like we need mm-hmm. to be better sometimes at quitting, uh, quitting earlier and more often. And and other times we need to pretend we don't even know the word. Mm. That's well said. Yeah. I have a, a birthday coming up and I have a stop list actually. Ooh, ooh, that's so good. And it's hard because I'm negotiating with myself (laughs) on the things to stop. Um, Before we go, I need to uh, bring up your book that's coming out in January. And and we'll have links in the show notes to your LinkedIn and and your website and such. But why don't you give me a thesis on on the book and maybe even kind of the catalyst for why you decided to write a book. It's not an easy venture. No, no, it isn't. Um, The book's called The Joy of Justice, How Companies and Communities Grow Stronger Together. I mentioned my passion around inspiring and equipping leaders to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, this work, much like much, a lot of my uh, years uh, participating in Life for Leadership uh, here in town, uh, has been such a source of great fuel for my soul to mm-hmm. watch leaders discover a sense of calling, engage with a real posture of service to make a difference mm-hmm. in the world, uh, motivated by their faith as my, as my motivation is. But um, I realized that watching business leaders come alive around Mm. their sense of not just responsibility, but the joy that's found on the other side of leveraging your influence, your intellect, your skills, regardless Mm. of what your actual job title is. We all have a responsibility to seek justice, the well-being and welfare of our neighbors in our community, that to whom much is given, much is required. Mm -hmm. That has not changed. But it gets so murky today with all the politics and voices and opinions. How do we create a clear sense of what that looks like? Mm-hmm. It isn't a passing fad or a wave of a cultural moment, but it's a true commitment to be our highest and best selves. I think all of us are drawn to people who are willing to use their strength for the benefit of those that mm. may not have as much. Right. And there's something very rewarding that comes from that. My my One of my favorite contrasts is this idea that uh, I think it was Roosevelt talked about that the American dream was founded on this notion of the joy of achievement, right? That it mm. feels really good to not quit, to work hard, to strive, to accomplish, to set goals and even exceed them sometimes. And so much of our self-worth and pride and connection to the value of opportunity is tied to that great joy of achievement. And it's usually forged in competitive dynamics, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. where I want to be the best. I want to be better. I want to go further. Um, and some would also say, particularly people in the community of faith, but others as well, that there's a greater joy than that, that the joy of generosity, mm. of using what you've been able to accumulate, accomplish, and achieve, and finding ways to benefit those who may not have the same opportunity. Some say generous people are the happiest people in the world, mm-hmm. and there's something about that that makes you walk on air when you know you're able to do that in a meaningful way. And sometimes in a sacrificial way and it's counterintuitive and it's not natural, but it's, 
it feels divine. Like you're mm-hmm. partnering with God in something supernatural. And I would say maybe there's even a joy that comes from the joy of justice. Mm. When you not only take from what you have extra to benefit someone else, but you leverage your strength to make another one stronger. Mm. You leverage your advantage, your wisdom, your access to help someone else do the same. Mm. And I think the the scriptures are full of wonderful examples and God's repeated command and invitation to want to seek just that goal. Mm. And so the writing of the book is to invite more business leaders in their local community to Hey, that, that you would prosper, that you would gain much, that you would achieve much, that is wonderful. It can feel real empty if you don't find ways to leverage that for the benefit sure. of other people. And so my hope is that it would be an invitation uh, and a call to action to seek not just social impact or corporate social responsibility activities and ways mm-hmm. to give back, but look around your local community. How, how can your corporation, your leadership, your influence just be a better caring and connected neighbor in your hometown? That's tremendous. Well, Eddie, can't wait to read it. Thanks for your friendship, your time today, Mm -hmm. and thanks for being in the studio with us. And it's been a great time. We'll be in touch, but most importantly, we'll keep living a life of impact. Thanks for Eddie Morton being in the studio today. 